So today I want to talk to you about a beautiful life. James chapter 3, we continue looking at these two main themes of being complete to whole, having integrity in every way, from that word to laos, in the Hebrew idea of wholeheartedness, you know, the opposite of half-hearted and double-minded, and then of, of just doing the law, doing the will of God, this thing that gives you so much freedom when we do it. Remember, James is writing to all the people of God by describing it as the 12 tribes. He's specifically taking it beyond the Jews. And he's including those Gentiles who've come to faith and he's saying to them, you are now part of the, the restored people of God. And, uh, and so he assumes that the Gentiles accept and understand what Jesus said to the Samaritan woman at the well in John 4 verse 22, where um, Jesus said, you Samaritans worship what you do not know. Like you've got this longing for God and you're not sure where it comes from. You're worshiping what you do not know. But we worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. Salvation is not exclusively for the Jews, but nevertheless, unless you have, as it were, an awareness and understanding of what the roots and origins of the salvation is. In other words, the actions, words, claims of Jesus make no sense if they're not anchored in the story, the ideas and the revelation of the Old Testament. And so James assumes that even though he's got Jews and Gentiles that he's speaking to, this restored people of God, that the Gentiles would have had to make it their business to understand something of the roots of faith that he's explaining. And he assumes it throughout the letter. Pierre, just stand up. I, uh, it's the weirdest thing. Uh, uh, this face mask. You know, Pierre's nodding and smiling. And, oh, my goodness. <laughs> it is great. So he is assuming not just that the Jews would be in Scripture, but that the Gentiles were having to go back and root themselves in the story, the ideas, and the understanding of Scripture itself, precisely so that they could get a grasp of who Jesus is and what he was about and how they should live. And when they do that, they are brought into one of the greatest traditions of the Old Testament, namely that of the, the story of wisdom. And the wisdom literature. Now, it kind of reached its apex under David and Solomon. Um, and it developed through the rabbinic ages as a deep, deep uh, sort of like appreciation. And he's already indicated in chapter one, that being James, that wisdom really matters. And that if you need it, you can ask God. And, and there's this generosity about God who gives generously to all. There's this abundance in God. And, 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 and we read in verse 17 of chapter 1 that every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of heavenly lights. And it's like this outpouring of goodness and grace that is coming from God who wants to give. Now, this is going to be really understand. To understand wisdom in, in the light of this idea of God's abundance, of God's willingness that we don't have to like drag stuff out of him, that there is this desire in God to give more than we would ever know. Now, 
our reading today is going to help us understand and define this wisdom. But it's in an interesting context. Remember last week we spoke about the tongue, the words we speak and, and how powerful they can be and what they can do. And that is part of wisdom, is having the wisdom to understand what our words do to, to us, do to others. They set the course of lives. They, they help people live. They literally, words literally change lives. They bring salvation. But also, and he's speaking here, in the context of those who lead and teach. And he's going to help us reflect on this. Therefore, as we listen to the reading, we should ask ourselves this question. What do I look for in those who lead and teach? What do I look for in those who lead, teach, oversee, and have the task of being, because the word shepherd didn't mean cuddly little Anna, it meant to be a leader. Israel's shepherds were kings, and they were judges, and they were leaders of those communities. They were commanders in battle. That's what their shepherds were. So what should we be looking for? James chapter 3 and verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, don't boast about it or deny that truth. Such Wisdom, inverted commas, does not come from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you find envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving then considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap or raise a harvest of righteousness. The word there is, not, is a little ambiguous. It's like you're growing the harvest and reaping it. Amen. That's a good scripture. So wisdom is clearly commended and commanded for all, but it is a mistake to think that leaders in any context are exempt from this requirement, especially kind of as God is helping his people. So I want to give us three points this morning. Wisdom is known by a beautiful life. A lack of heaven's wisdom causes chaos and conflict. Thirdly, make these things the goal in yourself and in others. And we'll look at those things. So firstly, wisdom is known by a beautiful life. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good Life by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. I wish I'd understood this truth more when I came to faith during my later years in high school. I faced a lot of opposition at school and in my home. Just truth be told, very, very few, no one in my home, 
I had pretty much no one in my school were cheering me on. You know, sometimes you come to faith and there's all these people excited. There was just no one like that in my world. Faith was a fight. And so truth became my weapon. Except it was knowledge-driven rather than wisdom-driven. I knew I needed to stand up for what I believed, and so I worked very hard at growing my biblical knowledge. Within a few years, I'd memorized about 50 chapters of Scripture, plus a whole bunch of others. So I was like this walking anomaly, like this, you know, walking, talking Bible in the flesh. But... And I used this rigorous commitment to unconsciously compete with everyone else, including Christians. Because everything was so hard, everything was so, yeah, it was just, I thought what it would take to deliver my faith to the finish line. But you see, I had not dealt with the pain and anger that were part of my life and story. So I thought if I could just get enough expert knowledge that I could overcome this kind of opposition. And I remember after being a Christian for nearly eight years, so I was uh, well into my young adult years, the first time I realized that unless I deeply and truly forgave someone for a wrong that they'd clearly done to me, they would not be a meaningful part of my life and future, and they mattered. And as I struggled to forgive, I mean really struggled, knowing what I should do because I'd memorized all the verses about forgiveness and unforgiveness, and I knew Matthew 18 and the whole lot, and if you don't forgive someone, you know, your heavenly Father can't forgive you, and I realized literally my, my life is at stake. I began confessing my unforgiveness of this person to the Lord. And in that moment, it was like the Holy Spirit caused me to watch a movie of multiple painful episodes that had happened in my life up until that time. Then the Holy Spirit said this to me, Son, you are struggling to forgive now because you've never really forgiven anyone before. Never really forgiven anyone before. I knew I shouldn't gossip. I knew I should overlook it. But I'd never allowed myself to think of the possibility of what it would be to let this person right back into my life. Now, I understand there's a difference between reconciliation, but forgiveness should at least be prepared to, do, to explore uh, reconciliation. And the bottom line was, with all my knowledge, I was not safe. Why? Because I lacked what James describes as wisdom and understanding. Until two things brought real change. The one is the word of God. <laughs> like you can't just keep eating it and it doesn't actually do its business. And the second was that relationships are a mirror in which we get to see what we are really like. I know we don't like that, and when we see what we really like, we like to blame the mirror instead of the discovery, but relationships are a mirror in which we get to see what we are really like. And I'm still on a journey of deep change to a good life. 
James says, who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by the deeds, you know, show this good life by the deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. Now, the word for good here is not agathos, which uh, you, of course, all know, is the word that defines something as ethically good in the Greek language. It's the word kalos, from which we get words like kalisthenics, which means beautiful movement. It's good, but it's good in a beautiful sense. So like when you're watching something and you're breathless because it's so good. I didn't watch the rugby yesterday, so I can't comment. But sometimes it's not ethically good. It is breathtakingly good. Derek Kidner tells us that sadly he's an Old Testament scholar. It's possible to be right and ugly. The way of Jesus is a way of righteousness and humility. That in Derek's words, has the power to make good people nice people. (laughs) Just let that sink in for a while. The Pharisees wanted to be good, but they hadn't understood that the wisdom that comes from heaven will make you beautiful. Will make you beautiful. You see, it's possible to be right and wrong. (laughs) And the wisdom and understanding that comes when we open ourselves to the ideas of heaven. You see, a lack of heaven's wisdom, point number two, causes chaos and conflict. If you harbor bitter envy, selfish ambition in your heart, well, don't boast about it or deny that truth. This wisdom does not come from heaven. It's earthly, unspiritual. The word is soulish. Demonic, wow. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you have disorder and every evil practice. Now it's interesting, James does very provocatively, does not follow the Old Testament at this point and contrast wisdom and foolishness. He introduces a subtlety. He says there are two competing wisdoms. There's an earthly wisdom and there's a heavenly wisdom. These two competing and opposing ways are ways in which people live and think. People behave and connect and relate. They justify and explain and rationalize the decisions they take based on these opposing wisdoms. Both lay claim to wisdom. Understand. Both make complete sense to their respective devotees and advocates. Both these wisdoms regard the other one as stupid. Some people think heaven's wisdom is plain dumb. And they would argue strongly. And so James is bringing a subtlety. So how do we tell the difference between these things? Well, the passage helps us. But importantly here, you know, we we could be tempted to just look at the fruit and the passage will tell us. But actually the passage is more demanding than that. You need to look at root and fruit is what the passage will tell us. 
or to change the metaphor. We test and discern the wisdoms of our life that guides our lives, not just by the destination it promises, but by the path it proposes to take. You can tell whether something is wise, not just by the destination it promises. We're going to change the world but by the path it proposes to take to achieve that outcome. It's both root and fruit. Now, here's the thing. One of these wisdoms, the earthly wisdom, is rooted deeply in a scarcity mindset and a deep fear of lack. So it doesn't believe, chapter 1, that God gives generously to all without finding fault, or that God, every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of heavenly lights who does not change like the shifting shadows. It has a scarcity mindset, and so it's living in terror. It's living in the fear that if someone else gets love, I will miss out. If someone else succeeds, it's at my expense. If someone else is honored, we're thinking, where is mine? If somebody else prospers, we want to know, where's my slice? Because we, are, we think the world has only so much love. Only so much grace, only so much goodness. And if somebody else is getting it, it automatically means that I am missing out. Because we don't believe what Scripture teaches about the nature of God's abundant goodness that gives generously to all without finding fault. Why do I say that? Because this believes that these things don't multiply. It believes that the kingdom things are not seeds that when sown will raise a harvest of righteousness. No, it's like the oil in the earth or the gold. There's only so much. And once extracted, whoever owns it wins and whoever doesn't loses. And it's a world of winners and losers. And therefore, he says, there will be envy and jealousy, selfish ambition and the desperate need to win. And that defines our wisdom. And anything that doesn't fit with that is just plain stupid because of our fear. Deep insecurity. We don't believe that God has made the things that matter most to multiply when we give them away. And so before we know it, heaven's wisdom is gone. And all we're left with is something of this earth, earthly and soulish, which describes in this context, now our souls are good things, but when used as an adjective, soulish describes something that has no spirit. It's the opposite of spiritual. And when... When all that you've got is your thoughts and emotions and fears and all you can see is this earth, he says what you've got is demonic. It's the kind of mindset in Matthew chapter 16 when Jesus was explaining, laying down his life to die for others, where Peter says to him, Lord, this shall never, Lord. He doesn't know those two words don't go together. Never, Lord, he says, this won't happen to you. Jesus says to him, get behind me. This demonic wisdom, get behind me, Satan. You don't have in mind the things of God, but the things of man. You understand this earthly wisdom 
looks completely sane and sensible until you look at what it's not willing to give away. And in communion, we saw how Jesus laid down his life for his friends because he does what we give away multiplies. And he wants us to live. And so he surrenders the thing that people believe would be lost. But when in this dog-eat-dog world of fear, we don't just find these words for disorder. It's not just chaos, but it's actually factions. It's the breakdown of our interconnectedness to everyone else. That's what James describes as the outcomes of this kind of wisdom. And it's ultimately a demonic strategy that splits people into factions and leaves community and individuals broken. Because we didn't believe that God is generous enough to give to all without finding fault. Now, yes, a radical challenge. Remember, we've had to put on new lenses to read the book of James. Who's James writing to? He's writing to people who were largely poor, oppressed, and powerless by worldly standards. They were the slaves. They were the servants of the day. They were the marginalized people. That's overwhelmingly the people the early church reached. We know that from the history and from the text. Now, these same people are part of raising up new leaders, trainers, and teachers in the body of Christ, elders, shepherds, and overseers for this movement. And, and they've got this new movement with a new Lord. People, were, they were supposed to say Caesar is Lord. And now in the face of Caesar is Lord, they have the servant king called Jesus and Jesus is Lord. And they are planning to change the world. Now, very important. It would have been so easy in this new movement to appoint angry voices that were demanding change and calling other people name and would turn every debate and every discussion into an us versus them and increase the factions and divisions that were already present in society. And James writes to these weak, vulnerable, oppressed, exposed people and says, don't choose people who would feed that worldly narrative. Don't elect people because they represent your interests. You are simply electing empire. You, you're doing what humans do, which is in grasping for power, you give demonic influence over your world. And so he says, elect those who have the grace, humility, and understanding to bring people together. Don't fall for the empty promises. When you look for shepherds and leaders and overseers, look at root and fruit. Discern the path that is being chosen and not just the destination that is being promised. Does this make sense? It's quite radical when you think of who he was talking to. You see, a path of jealousy, fear, factions, selfish ambition 
is never going to make this world a beautiful place. So make these things the goal in yourself. I want to just invite you to listen to these words again. Now, there's so much I could say and teach. about these words so like they in all my rough notes but as I was preparing I sensed the Holy Spirit simply saying to me now give the sermon to me so I need you to do the same I need you to give what you hear to the Holy Spirit. Give this sermon to me. This is my work. This is what I do. This is the fruit that I produce. For I am the Spirit of Jesus. I am the Spirit of Jesus. So I'm going to ask the worship team if you'll come up and join me. You see, there is an abundance coming. There is a harvest of righteousness waiting for us if we'll have the courage to sow it. And its word is peace. Jewish word, shalom, which means the interconnectedness is intact. All the parts have their place. The team, I'm going to ask that you would just play quietly in the background. And if, as I read a word, you need the Holy Spirit to activate this positively in your life, I'm just going to ask you to stand. That's how I understand the instruction here. And who knows what comes next. So, Holy Spirit, we want to give this sermon to you. We want to give these words that you are promising in our lives to you. We want to give the wisdom and the advice and the counsel and the direction of our lives. We want to give it to you. We want the wisdom that comes from heaven. So if as I read something, you're saying, God, yes, then, then just stand. Holy Spirit. <sighs> And Lord, I just speak joy in this place. Because there's going to be breakthrough. There's going to be new life. There's going to be abundance. A new way of seeing God. A new way of seeing the world. A new way of seeing ourselves. For the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure it's supremely clean safe unmixed radiant 
it is shalom loving. It is shalom loving. It is peace loving. It is in connectedness loving. It is considerate. Dreaming of ways in which other people can flourish and succeed and receive honor and success and love and compassion and mercy and justice and every kingdom virtue. It's not thinking about itself. It's considerate. wisdom that comes from heaven is submissive. Oh. Filled and full of mercy. Filled and full of mercy. Some of you got to stand, guys. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And it's filled and full of good fruit. And it is without hypocrisy, literally, or impartial. There's no conflicts of interest here. You're just transparent. And it is deeply, deeply sincere. Peacemakers, shalom makers, who sow in peace, raise and reap a harvest of righteousness peace makers shalom makers who sow in peace reap and raise a harvest of righteousness Lord give us new imaginations today come Holy Spirit come Holy Spirit come Holy Spirit literally we open our hearts our minds our guiding direction to you come Holy Spirit So one of the needs that was pointed out this morning that God wanted to change was insufficiency. (laughs) You just think there's not enough. You think you're not enough. Has God answered and met a need for you? Has God spoken into that for you today? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we want to pray if anyone needs healing grace right now, We say in the name of Jesus, let the healing grace fall on you. Tanya, in the name of Jesus, we speak by His command and by His authority, healing into every part of your body. Anyone else? Just raise your hand. Anyone else? All those hands. Are you needing healing right now? In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Lord, you said you're going to meet these needs. And so... We release that. Selma, what you need from Jesus, may it come now in your body. 
May you receive it. Estelle, for you as well, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Now for you. Healing come, healing come. So Father, we thank you for the grace that you give us. Next week we'll have to have testimonies, I reckon. Love to hear what God is doing. Thank you, thank you, thank you. So now may the Lord bless you, keep you, make His face shine on you, which means He's smiling, guys. He's smiling. A shining face is a smile. (laughs) Make His face shine on you. Be gracious to you. The Lord turn His face and His eyes towards you and give you His shalom, His peace. In Jesus' name, amen, amen.